Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, a kid lit podcast for parents, teachers, and writers. I'm Heather Kaufman-Peters. I'm the mother of one teenage boy. I'm a preschool teacher and a writer. And I'm Margie Ozimet. I'm mom to two boys, a former middle school teacher, a homeschooler, and a writer. Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, episode 21. Our first episode exploring middle grade nonfiction and our first graphic novel. That's really cool. I'm excited. We're looking at Tainted Water from two different perspectives through The Leak by Kate Reed Petty and illustrated by Andrea Bell and Poisoned Water by Candy J. Cooper with Mark Aronson. I'm really psyched to get into these books. Because I'm a water nerd. That is so random, by the way. That you're- Isn't it weird? And it's like a weird, it's, you know, I wrote this whole blog post about it last week on my blog. And it's really because that's our love language. My husband and I, <laughs> we, li- we literally will sit around for hours drinking wine on the deck and talking about like microorganisms in wastewater, you know, chemical makeup of, you know, fresh water versus like, it's just disturbing. And even our kids are like, you guys are freaks. Um, I am a certified stream watch participant. Oh, and that's tester. right. I forgot about that. Yes, right. I am. Uh, I am a certified water reporter. I took all the courses for that. I took a gazillion water bio classes when I was teaching science because I, I don't know, it, it like it struck a nerve. Water got me and I got really fascinated by it really quickly. And I dove in and, um, and, you know, my husband's a water engineer. So there we go. So be prepared for full on dorkdom. It is like solid dorkdom here. And I'm going to rein it in because I was even like writing up some notes and I was going into like, into the, like the terminology on the Flint, like what was happening with the scale and the descaling and the chemicals used and everything. And I'm like, you need to, you need to just stop because you can't dork that hard. But I do have some exciting news to share. What's that? So, you know, um, this is big. I want you to be ready for this. You know, like most of society, I have been on my um, diet to get rid of my quarantine 1770, whatever it is, you know, like we're all fat, right? So we've all been dieting and everything. Well, so I have been, as you know, I go on my intermittent fasting. I'm a big fan. I've tried everything and I've been doing this for like six months and it wasn't doing so great. Now I'm at like month eight and I've made some changes or whatever. And I have big news to report. What? I had to move the buckle of my watch of your watch. (laughs) I was like, are you freaking kidding me? This is it. Like I'm starving myself for 20 hours a day. And finally what happens is I'm like, look at that. My watch band is too big. So I'm thinking that maybe next week my socks might be too big. I don't know. If only your bra was too big. That'd be nice. Oh, I did have to move just the hook though. I had to move the hook. (laughs) But the other day I was like, look at that. My watch is too big. Pants. No, not even happening there. (laughs) Nothing. Nothing's budging on that front. (laughs) But I could send pictures if you'd like to see my skinny skinny wrist. There's no justice. Meanwhile, my husband, who did also gain the quarantine 20 or whatever we all gain, he's like, um, I'm just going to not drink beer during the week. And it's gone. He's like a twig again. He's like a skinny twiglet again. And I'm like, I hate you so much. <laughs> I hate you. I, I, but my wrists look great. <laughs> you could be a wrist model now. Right? My wrists are fabulous. <laughs> I was like, wow, I might go get some new watch bands. <laughs> In a size small. You should. I kind of have a watch band addiction. I do too. But I was buying mediums. I think I might be ready for a small now. (laughs) Awesome. So there's the breaking news on the diet front. Go pick out a nice spring color watch band for yourself. (laughs) Maybe something a little narrower, more revealing to really show it off. (laughs) That'd be great. That's my week in a nutshell right there. (laughs) It's been great. A lot of success happening here. (laughs) A lot of success. But hey. Check out these wrists. They look good, girl. They look good. <laughs> I have to downsize on my Wonder Woman bracelets if I'm not careful. Oh, Lord. <laughs> well, congratulations. Don't be jealous, though, because you already have tiny wrists. Don't be jealous. You have petite bones. <laughs> <laughs> you, already, you already had svelte wrists. <laughs> is, is this quarantine thing over yet? I need it to end. I wish we were sending each other pandemic anniversary gifts by the <laughs> listeners. And I know, and I meant to put it on Instagram, but instead I had to <laughs> put the cake that I made. 
Because <laughs> I was so proud of that. I made the birthday cake. cake for my, thank you. And you know what? I'm going to tell you what, this is the first time in my life that I have learned that something by the name of peanut butter buttercream exists. And there is no going back. Peanut butter buttercream. That's what I made. It was a chocolate cake with peanut butter buttercream and chocolate ganache. Oh, come on, girl. This is probably why my wrists are the only things getting thin. Just PS. It does kind of make sense. <laughs> but yeah, I, um, I didn't know you could make peanut butter buttercream. I've never heard of that. Now I have heard of peanut butter pie. Kind of, it was probably been the same concept. Yeah, that's what I but was the wondering. The peanut butter buttercream kind of cuts the, you know, how buttercream. I'm, God knows I'm never going to turn it away because it is one of my favorite things on earth. But you, sometimes it's a little too sweet. The peanut butter takes that sweetness out. Ooh, yeah. So it's just good peanut buttery goodness. Yummy. Well, I have news too, but it's not quite as exciting. Is it about your wrists? Is it your ankles? I have to say, I've never had skinny ankles. In fact, that's something friends make fun of me for. Because <laughs> your feet are like the size of a Barbie doll's P.S. No, but I have fat ankles. Here, my dear listeners, this woman literally has feet that look like a child's. She has the tiniest feet I've ever seen. And you know when you go to the shoe store and you're like, oh, of course, the size fives and sixes are on sale. Who in God's name has those feet? Heather. Heather does. And she'll be like, oh, look at it these for $20. Well, of course you got the $300 shoes for $20 because only a seven-year-old can wear those shoes. <laughs> yeah. My friend in college used to say I had digger feet, like little animal feet. Because <laughs> yeah, they're so, they're so tiny. They're like, they're like little paws. But I have like fears of falling because as I get older and fatter, <laughs> My tiny it's not feet. the fat, honey. It's the ginormous hooters that you have on the front that don't work well with tiny feet. You literally are lopsided. I just like I constantly imagine like that I'm going to fall down the stairs or fall in high heels. You know what? That's real. That's a real fear. Because again, not only does she have Barbie feet, she's got Barbie's rack too. Oh, God. She's got like, so it's a real fear, you know, like the center of gravity is way off on this woman. <laughs> Just say I forgot what my news was. Oh, I remember. <laughs> Sorry. Your tiny feet threw you off. I was distracted by my tiny feet. So we on our little pond on our property have a hole in it. Speaking of water, because we're talking about water issues. So I couldn't believe this was happening at the same time. There's a hole in my pond, my pond, my pond. It's muskrats. So they dig. Oh, hole. do you sing? Did you sing muskrat love when you saw them? And you should name them Captain and Tennille. <laughs> The muskrats when you see them. Muskrat, muskrat, candlelight. How do you even remember that song? I love Captain and Tennille. I love them. I had a Tony Tennille haircut for like two years of elementary school PS. <sighs> and muskrats are so weird looking because they're like beaver. They have like a beaver body, but then they have like a little rat tail. I, said, I don't even know what they look like. But then why did they deserve a song about love? I don't know. I'm just saying. Okay. I thought. And they were like cute, like cute, like little well, fairy cute or something. Cute. If it has a rat tail, it's not cute. Nothing with a rat tail. That's what ruins it. So, of course, you know, yeah, my husband Googled it and did all the research and found that there's this stuff that you can put in there and it, it expands like super fast and like fills the hole. Like the buckets of it are like 50 pounds. <laughs> so we, and we still don't have a road on our property to so drive. you have to schlep it all the way over there? This is like high dollar homesteading. That's what it is. Oh That's going to be, when I write the story after they find your bodies and I have to write the true crime edition up to what happened for you people living out in the middle of the, I'm going to call it high dollar homesteaders. That's it. That's my true oh crime my story. God. It'll be great. People are going to buy it. I'm sorry you're going to be dead. <laughs> I'm going to make some dough off you, though. At least you're going to sleuth it out, figure out who killed us. <laughs> Obviously. First of all, it's going to be the neighbors, but whatever. Of course. No, we actually have super sweet neighbors, so it won't be the neighbors. So you think. Oh, that's awesome. Anyway. Awesome. Okay. I guess we should start this party, right? Probably. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's get started. So <laughs> let's start on the lighter side of tainted water killing out the whole population, because that was a great uplifting theme for us to pick this week, right? Lovely. Yes. On top of a pandemic. <laughs> and the George Floyd trial. Let's hit it all. So tell us about the leak. Let's start with that one. Okay. 
The leak is a graphic novel, and I will openly admit that I just don't read graphic novels. Yeah, me neither. I've never had anything against them. They just never really grab my attention. Same. But I'm a big enough girl to admit that I've been missing out. I think The Leak by Kate Reed Petty and Andrea Bell is is wonderful. It's about a sassy middle grader named Ruth Keller, who is a journalist. And in the descriptions of the book, they said budding journalist, but I'm here to tell you. Oh, she's fine. I know. She's not a kid journalist. She's not a budding journalist. She's a fantastic journalist, the kind I wish we had a lot more of in the real world. Yeah. Um, So Ruth stumbles upon a problem with the water in her town of Twin Oaks. Um, FYI, the story is set during the same period as the Flint water crisis, which is represented in TV, the TV news that's playing in the background of the story. And also it's taught by her science teacher at school. Uh, Shout out awesome science teacher in this book also. Mm -hmm. Oh, I know. I loved her so much. So Ruth and her friend Jonathan go fishing one day and discover a dead fish and some black ooze in the local lake. Um, And that combined with Ruth's constant admonishment from her dentist that she isn't taking good care of her teeth when she knows that she really is, convinces Ruth to dig into the water pollution in their town. And she targets local country club and some other businesses that have received fines in the past for polluting the water. And she writes articles about everything she discovers in her newsletter, which starts to get traction and an audience um, from adult journalists who start to catch on to what's happening. So um, there's so many things I love about this story. Mm -hmm. First off, who knew that graphic novels could squeeze so much story into such few words? I thought the same thing. Holy cow. This book had complicated friendships, budding romance, stressful parent relationships, uh, siblings with their own issues, science. uh, And last but not least, my favorite part of this book, the definition and oaths of journalism. Oh, my gosh. We need this information desperately today. I mean, I've been so horrified by a previous president who called journalists the enemy of the people. I mean, that is the opposite of what journalists are. Um, I have a background in journalism. I know a lot of journalists and they work hard for very little pay most times. Yeah. And even though I will, and most of them will be the first to admit, they don't always get everything right every time. That's the whole point. And that's a big point that's highlighted in this book, that if you're getting your news from a place that doesn't run retractions or corrections or updates or admit when they get things wrong, you're not getting real news. Oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So um, it also highlights the oath that jur- of journalists to be objective and accurate and transparent and honest and that they have a responsibility to protect people. And they also have a responsibility to keep an open mind and get all sides of the story. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just can't say enough about the leak. This book came out in March 16th of this, uh, this year. So yeah, hot off the presses. Yeah. Very relevant. Um, I highly recommend it for kids. I would even go as young as third grade and up because it approaches the topic sort of gently without being scary, the water pollution, and also shows how kids can make a difference by paying attention to the world around them and caring about our water and our environment. I don't know, Margie, what do you, what'd you think about this? I, okay. So first of all, let this be a lesson. I went to my local librarian who is, you know, she's just sort of like Wonder Woman in my opinion. And I was like, we're reading Poisoned Water for the podcast and I need a companion piece. And she was like, she gave me some, some books. And then she said, you know what? I'll pull some stuff, come get it tomorrow. And when I went to the next day, she sent me the, this book was on top. And she, and I was like, look at that. She's like, it just came out hot off the press. I think this is exactly what you want. Could not have been more exactly what we wanted. I mean, like it was so right on the money and it's just a great way to do it. I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. The concepts in the book were basically simple concepts, but they, like you said, there's so much, there's so many things happening. The relationships were very middle school, but it didn't matter. There were so many things happening because even though like these, there were these girls that were like, Oh, did you kiss him? Did you kiss him? Um, She's like, I don't really have time for that. I'm trying to solve a major crisis. And then, you know, she does screw up. She screws up and she blames her friend's father. And she lies about a few things and she gets caught and she fixes it. And I think that's really good. She's a very likable character. Mm-hmm. And she's a very realistic character. And I think one thing that I really loved is her. She kind of had a really good relationship with her brother's girlfriend. 
And her brother's girlfriend is the one who kind of was a mentor to her. And I love seeing that mentor relationship because it was like somebody, you know, like she was just out of college. She was doing an internship with the New York Times, but she still took time to help this girl. And it really made a huge amount of difference to this girl. And I think that there are lots and lots of people that do that, you know, that do are willing to be a mentor to someone. I think that it really was a great foundation and then kind of gave Ruthie the, the, power to go do her own thing i did not like the mom the mom made me mad she was really a little too um stereotypical kind of like that ya stereotypical like you just don't understand me kind of mother i wasn't a fan i liked the dad a lot the only thing about the mom that sort of rang true to me which is probably stuff something that i do is like it felt like she was just kind of saying things in the moment and it was short interactions and so she never really got to sort of get past her initial reaction to things because it's a graphic novel and they didn't have like long interactions. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. You're always kind of getting just like her initial reaction to things, which yeah, was kind of crappy, but you know, sometimes moms react that way because they're worried about how it looks and what you're doing and how you're behaving. And that's why I kind of like towards the end where she and her mom have a little bit more longer conversation and it helps to sort of show their real relationship a little bit more but yeah I also felt like the dad was a little bit stereotypical because he gets to be the easy breezy like dad who just gets to be cool you, and you nice. mean they're not all because I kind of <laughs> feel like they're all like that in life because they don't have to like do the dirty work half the right. time you know and I I felt like that was a little bit authentic in that where the mom is the heavy and the dad gets to be like the pancake guy you know yeah like, and, um but yeah I agree I mean it was a little her bit pants came of, through in the end I mean yes you know spoiler it, it alert, was a but. little surface level at the beginning but yeah. Yeah. It did take a little bit to kind of get into it. I, I, yeah. That's a good criticism too. It took a little, um, but you know, the whole thing takes you like 45 minutes to read. So, and it's, it's like, what is it? 200 pages or something? It's like 235 pages. That's the other thing I would say about the graphic novel too, is that I get it now. Like I know a lot of people worry about kids only reading them, but honestly, kids in middle school are so freaking busy. They have so much Mm -hmm. homework. They have so many activities. They have their friends. And if, you know, if you gave a kid a book like this, which I honestly think it's just, you're getting just as much out of it as you'd get out of a novel Yeah, because there's, there's like, you know, the A line, the B line. I mean, everything is there. Why not? If they can read it in 45 minutes an hour, why not give a, give it to them? You know, and plus they get a sense of it, like they've accomplished something, they've read a book. It's big too. It's no, it's no like little, little tiny piece of writing. It's a big honking piece of writing. I like the illustrations a lot. I think they had a, they were really fun and very uh, playful. My son is suddenly like really, really into comic books. And I'm like, oh my God, they're so graphic. There's so much blood and there's so many boobies and you know what I mean? Like everything is so, and it didn't have that. They were more like simple line drawings. I kind of like that. They were more age appropriate, I guess, and, and appropriate for a younger kid too. That's why I think. Think, yeah, like third and fourth graders could read this. Yeah, kind of like, what is it? Smile and Dork Diaries. Those are all kind of in that same, it was in that same sort of style. And I, I don't know, I really liked it. I thought it was a really big winner. I just really thought it was a nice little nugget that you could bite off, get into it and not have to s- devote a large chunk of your life to reading it. And yet you still got totally fulfilled. Yes, I agree 100%. And I think it's pr- it has pretty good reviews so far. So I think moving forward, it might start to get some awards. Maybe we'll see. Again, it's so fresh because we're cutting edge, girl. We're cutting edge. <laughs> um, again, that was The Leak by Kate Reed Perry and, and uh, illustrations by Andrea Bell. And um, our second, much heavier choice was Poisoned Water. Um, Margie, you want to tell us about that one? Okay, so I want to start by saying that this is a hard book to read. Yes. Because it makes you angry. It makes you frustrated. It makes you question everything. It makes you gut sick. And therefore, because of those reasons, I think it should be mandatory reading. I think that not only should every student need to read this, I think that every American needs to read this book. This is Poisoned Water, How the Citizens of Flint, Michigan Fought for Their Lives and Warned the Nation by Candy J. Cooper and Mark Aronson. Funny, this is interesting because I needed to understand the relationship between these writers. Mark Aronson does a lot of books for young people, nonfiction books for young people. And he specializes in like getting boys to read. That's sort of his jam. So of course, you know, I was on his bandwagon all of a sudden. Someone approached him and said, you do all these topics. We need a book on this subject. And he was like, yeah, we do. 
I'm not the guy to do it because I need, I think it needs to be covered from somebody local, somebody that is a journalist. And that's why he then, he, he was telling me like, or telling me, what am I saying? Like, like Mark, <laughs> Mark and I are having conversations. He's like, oh, Mark, this is what happened. Um, he, he was saying that he approached Candy J. Cooper, who is a journalist and she was a journalist from Detroit, the Detroit Free Press. And um, she was a runner up for the Pulitzer. Uh, mm-hmm. for reporting on the Flint water crisis. And so she kind of did the technical side of things, it seems like, and he kind of broke, broke it down to make it uh, accessible for young people is sort of the gist that it got. They are a dynamic duo. Oh, yeah. And I feel like there are so many things that they could cover to make things understandable that it would be really great. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to explain that I know a ridiculous amount about the Flint water crisis because I've researched it for other things. And then my husband got assigned to the Flint water crisis last semester. And um, because I already was so into it, he he and I did it together. Like he had to do a huge uh, research paper and and presentation and everything on it. So we took a really deep dive into all of the science behind it. Because as I said, he's finishing, he's a, a water engineer and he is finishing his master's in that. So that was for one of his master's classes. So I knew a bunch about the Flint water crisis. I knew how it happened. I knew when it happened. I knew about the testing. I knew about the test falsification. I knew exactly how it all corroded and what happened, but I didn't know anything about the people. And this is a book that is the story of the people and how the people of Flint fix their own problems. And that is amazing. So even though this is in my wheelhouse, I, it was a whole new, whole new experience for me. And I could not, like, I have been, if you're, if you follow our Instagram, I've been all over, I've been putting this thing on there all the time. And it's been on our, you know, I, I cannot get, I, I can't say enough. People need to read this book. This is an amazing book. And it's also really hard and hurts you. <laughs> it came out in May of 2019. Excuse me, May 19th of 2020. 2020 is just a blur. I can't even say it apparently. It's already won the best book of 2020 from the School Library Journal. It's one of the ten, top 10 books for teenagers for 2020. It was listed as one of the best social justice resources of 2020. I mean, it's like, and it's barely out of the gate. So I think it's just going to keep getting better and better and better. I think it's best described in this excerpt from the School Library Review, which says, thoroughly sourced and meticulously documented, this stomach-churning, blood-boiling, tear-jerking account synthesizes a city's Herculean effort to access safe, clean water. This compulsively readable, must-buy narrative nonfiction serves as the ultimate antidote to civil complacency. Complaints. I can't say that word. Complacency. Thanks. Um, I, and it, I, would you disagree? I mean, I think that would be a hundred. That's it. I got mm-hmm. it. You got it. Right. It mm-hmm. is. It is stomach churning. It is gut wrenching. It mm-hmm. is blood boiling and it is tear jerking. <laughs> All of those things and more. The other thing I, I would say about it, too, is it's so wonderful in that it doesn't talk down to kids. No, not like, at all. Not even is, in the science part of things. No. The, and in fact, the science part of it, even for me, I was like, okay, I get it. And it's clear and it's understandable. But wow. I mean, that's a lot of really detailed information about yeah. exactly what was happening. Yeah. But I love the way they did it, how they sort of repeated some of the information throughout the course because they were sort of jumping around yep. a little bit because you're following different people and what their role was in it. So it was really helpful for me because I'm not as huge of a science nerd as Margie. Or a water nerd. Like how that is that not a big water nerd yeah um and so it was so helpful for the repetitiveness of some of the information that helped really drive it home for me yeah but yet in a way that wasn't like you know a kid wouldn't feel like oh they're dumbing it down for us like there's nothing dumbed down in this book at all it's wonderful and i also loved how they found kids in the community just sort of oh right so and then especially um what was his name what was his name from the beginning Kershawn Wade how it started off with him and then ended with him and you mm-hmm. felt like it gave you this little glimmer of like Wow, they're going to be okay. Like there's, there's some good people there. There's like some good things have come out of that. And I feel like the second, maybe not the second half, maybe like the last quarter of the book really did give you that, like, they're doing okay. Like they're getting there They're they, but it's not because anyone helped them, but themselves, which I think is what makes me most disgusted. It becomes really clear from the onset that this is about racism, 
This is a book about social economic oppression. Nobody cared. I think to me, one of the things that also showed is just how much of a standard operating procedure that is, because yes. they did not think that in this day and age of mass communication, that anybody would say anything about it or that it would go anywhere. I mean, it was right. obvious that they didn't because they knew immediately that there was a problem, but they didn't do anything about it. So they must have, must have assumed that nobody would care. Yeah. So let me give you this. Let's start, but okay. let me let's throw this in case, you know, you've been living under a rock or you didn't catch it all. Um, and this is basically the Flint water crisis in a very, very tiny nutshell. In 2014, the city of Flint, Michigan made the choice. Flint, Michigan is also, that's where was Chevrolet, right? Uh, GM. GM. Okay. So the city of Flint in 2014 decided to switch the city's water source from Detroit water. They were pulling their water, their drinking water from Detroit but it was expensive and it was coming from, from the Great Lakes. So what they decided to do was that they're going to build their own pipeline. Excuse me. It wasn't coming from the Great Lakes. It was coming from Detroit. They were building their own pipeline to be able to pull it directly from the Great Lakes without having to use Detroit's treatment plant. Okay. Mm -hmm. That was going to take a few years. In the interim, what they decided to do was to turn on a water treatment plant. And if you've ever been to a water treatment plant or which you probably haven't because you're normal and not <laughs> married to someone who designs them. But if you've ever been to one, it is a really high tech thing. There is a lot of things going on. There are a lot of things that have to be updated. There are so many churning wheels that have to work in perfect harmony. So no one dies. And they were warned that the plant was not sufficient it was to not. do this. It was and, and so they decided that it had been sitting dormant since 1964. They were just going to turn, open the door, turn the key, and they were going to start running river water through it. Now, here's another important thing to understand is that water drinking water treatment is something that most companies will steer clear of because it's very hard to do. Wastewater, not hard. Drinking water, really hard. You can kill people if everything's not perfect. But river water is one of the most difficult things to treat because the constant, like the, the speed and the turbidity of the river and the way that the currents are constantly throwing over, the chemical makeup of the river is changing literally by minute. So just when you're treating it at one moment, all of a sudden the next batch of water that you're pulling from the river is going to have a different chemical makeup. So you have to be, be able to readjust your chemicals and everything that you in the treatment of that water. You can't do that when you have a, a an ancient, decrepit water treatment center that you haven't used. There's one part of the system that's really, really important, and it's a it's a pump. It's a pumping mechanism. Uh, again, nerd dumb. They didn't have that pump because they didn't use that in the '60s. So they cut a hole in it, and they had guys dripping the, the chemicals from a hole in the ceiling into the water. And really, this was going to be okay. Anyway, I could really, honest to God, as sad and sick as it is, I could go on and on and on. But anyway. Almost immediately, Flint residents began to get rashes, fevers, all kinds of bizarre illnesses. Eventually, the chemicals that were used to treat the tainted Flint water were so extreme, and it's mostly the chlorine, that it started to break down the scale within the pipes. The scale in the pipes is what keeps the lead from going into the water. But they were producing such acidic water that it ate the scale, which then released the lead. And then the lead went directly into the homes. That's a nutshell how it happened. 99,000 citizens were exposed to dangerously high levels of lead in, in Flint. And 9,000 children were also exposed to, that, to dangerously high levels of lead and lead poisoning. In addition to the lead, more than 115 people died of Legionella bacteria, which forms Legionnaire's disease, because that also came through the faulty lines, because that was another byproduct of the chemicals that they were using to try. They didn't know what they were doing. Not They didn't know how to treat the water, basically. So wait, what happened was the citizens, no one would help. They had they tried every means necessary and no one would help. The EPA shut them down. Everybody, even the guy from the EPA that was trying to help them, he got shunned from the EPA and shut down. And they took it on themselves, mostly the mamas. Most mm -hmm. of the, and that's what I loved it in the book when they're like, and then the women started. And I'm like, sisters <laughs> yep. are doing it for themselves. Yeah, girl. And it really was. It was the moms that started this because they're like, this is insane. This, you know, the kids were being, they were, uh, the one little girl described it as like the water's biting me. Oh, oh and then to pay us to top it off, they're getting five and $600 a month bills for water that they can't use and that they can't afford because, you know, 
we're already in a, zo- a poverty zone to begin with. And now you're asking me to pay a $500 water bill for water that I can't use. And I have to go buy bottled water. It's infuriating. I'm going to get up on my house. I have to say, um, I'm glad that I finished reading it like several days before we're recording because I think every other word out of my mouth would have been a cuss word if we were talking about it like right after I finished reading it because it is so disgusting and so disturbing and how the people in charge just played politics with it, like you said. They passed the buck like nobody's business, too. Well, they passed the buck and they tried to ruin the careers of reputable scientists and doctors. And I think one thing that's really interesting when you read a lot about it, um, you hear a lot about Mark Edwards and what's what was his name? Uh, Del Toro. I can't think of his first name. Um, there is another woman who was a citizen scientist and you hear a lot about them. And then the, Dr. Mona is what they called her in the book. They're sort of who the go to are. And the book makes it very clear that yes, these people were very instrumental, but we got other stories to tell. And I think that's really great. And it also did show in the book too, which I thought was really great because I'm kind of a a fangirl of Mark Edwards because he's he's like a super nerd in the water world. And he does a lot of this sort of work all over the country Mm -hmm. because Flint's not the only one. It's just the worst one so far that they even said, this is not us. We came in at the end and we just gave you the numbers that you needed. We just confirmed what everybody else had already figured out. I love that they could also refer to the mothers that did all the work as scientists. Like, I, I love it. I think that it, they were. These people figured these things out on their own. They learned these things on their own. Well, and I, I was impressed by like the, all the pastors that organized and led the charge for their community. Cher sent three truckloads, three semis of water. Of course, I knew I loved her. Share go, but a lot of people sent a lot of stuff. But it was it was still late. Like they kept saying, like we've been screaming about this for a long time. Even Barack Obama didn't get on the train for a long time, and nobody wanted to listen. I think that's the that's the most frustrating thing about the whole thing. No one listened. That was one of the critiques of the journalists at that time too, because they were more willing to believe the politicians than they were the people. Which I mean, in a way. You want to put that faith in the people who, like the EPA, you want to put the faith in them that they're doing the right thing, you know, but they also had a lot of their asses to cover. So that was unfortunate. Well, and there were 15 legal, what do you call legal cases, legal charges brought up against 15 people. But uh, I think I just read not very, not very long ago, somebody, somebody was found guilty. I can't remember if it was the, the head of the Michigan water protectors or something. Somebody did get they basically got a slap on their wrist. I think they went for like, you know, you basically ruined all these kids' lives and futures and they went for like four weeks or something to prison or something ridiculous. But um, what happened was that they had charged these 15 people. Then Gretchen Whitmer and a whole new organization came in to play and they decided to that, that nothing could be credible. So they decided to dismiss the charges and start the investigation again. And then COVID hit. So it's kind of up in the air as to who, if like the governor and the mayor and those people, they need to be, they, they need to be held responsible for this. I just think it's so amazing that no one stopped to think this is going to cost us a lot more in the long run if we don't. What did it say? Like 500 to 800, like 8 billion or something. Like it was an astronomical amount that they're projecting this. I mean, you're going to get sued by everybody in that town. Okay. Here's the thing with the scale in place in the pipes, you can still get quite a bit of life out of a lead pipe, but now you've destroyed the pipes because you've taken the scale away. So they're no longer usable until you rebuild the scale, which can take 20 years. Or, well, that's not going to happen. Now they have to replace all those pipes. So if you had anybody that had a clue, and you know what's really weird, and it didn't mention it in this book, but I read it in a bunch of other stuff. It's the guy that was the head of that treatment plant shot himself. Oh, I'm sure he felt horrible. And And he kept saying, but he kept saying, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. You can't make me do this. You can't, this isn't right. This isn't right. It's not going to work. And then, yeah, I think that was like on a, um, Nova or something. I had a feeling it was going to fall on those guys, but like it seemed like in this book, they were trying to imply that some of them weren't even qualified that for what definitely. they were doing. And then the one guy, yeah, he probably kept sounding the alarm, but what are you supposed to do? God, but that water terrible. treatment plant was never meant to, it, it was a backup plant when it was originally built, it was never designed to be a primary plant. And again, if you know anything about water treatment plants, which most normal people don't, you would be able to say it can't hold that capacity 
because it just doesn't have the capacity to filter at the speed necessary for for a city because it was only meant for backup to begin with. And that was in the 60s. It was built in the 60s. The things that they used to, to filter water in the 60s versus the methods of using, you know, the, the wastewater treatment or water treatment plants use now are vastly different. So instead of depending on, like, say, instead of depending on uh, chlorine, you might depend more on a sand filter. I listen to my husband. This is the only time I listen to my husband when he talks because this stuff fascinates me. So I, you know what I mean? So like, I get this and I think it just gives me a totally different dimension on this because I'm like, I am just a mom and an old science teacher. And I could have walked in there and told you that that was wrong. Well, I think a lot of, a lot of people were telling them that it was wrong. Um, I just think that everyone should read this book and it's going to be everyone I know on my Christmas list is going to be getting this. And then they're going to be like, wow, she's lost it finally, but I don't care because I think this is a super important book. And I just think that Candy Cooper and Mark Aronson did an amazing job on this. Yeah. And I cannot recommend this book highly enough because it is gritty and painful and it makes your heart hurt, but it's so important. I was going to say, is there any curriculum stuff out there to go with You know, it? not yet, but again, I think it's because it's been, it's such a pretty fresh book because even on his website, which he has a lot of curriculum on his website, markaronson.com, he does not have curriculum for this yet. So I think it's pretty new. It would be a, a great book to use in a science classroom and an upper level science classroom of just about scientific integrity. Um, there was none. P.S. There really was none until uh, Mark Edwards got involved. Uh, just and, and, and scientific empowerment, because the more these people learned, the more empowered they were. And it was the science that saved them in the end. That's what got them what they needed in the end was the science, not the emotion. And they learned that. And when they figured that out, like the part where the pastors and what was it? it was like pastors and moms and teachers and they were running basically like I just it was such a great visual of like running these bottles of samples to homes in the cover of darkness and then taking the samples and getting them to to uh, Virginia Tech. And it was just like and it was all them. It was all them. And they they taught them how to do the sample correctly, how to, you know, make sure that it was secure and it wasn't contaminated and and they did it and they did it gangbusters yeah didn't they end up with like 400 samples and they were only expecting a quarter of that yeah and large chunk of those samples tested to have a higher parts per billion than than toxic waste yeah that's disgusting so if you are interested in this though there's a great series called uh i think it's on nova and it is also called poison water and then there's another one on Frontline. Frontline had a great one. Frontline is more about the Legionella, but they did some hardcore research too to figure out how many people actually died of Legionella. And they give you a good history of the Flint water treatment plant and how it all, the whole crisis as well. So that's on. And I think that was just from a couple of years ago. The Nova was pretty new. It was just maybe last year. And they're really great ones to watch if you're interested in that, or, you know, you just want to kind of delve further into this because you do, when you read it, you really, I think. I think this, I mean, obviously it'd be a great book for schools too, but I think for homeschooling, even you could do a whole thing on this. Like you said, if you read the book and then watch the videos and. Yeah. And water is so important. I feel like people don't understand there is a finite amount of water. That's why we have the water cycle. What water we have, we have, you know, like you're drinking dinosaur pee because that's the same water <laughs> that the dinosaurs drank and released and it's coming back or it's just going through the water cycle. One of my favorite subjects to teach. I found a really interesting dystopian book. Come, it's YA though called Dry coming out soon. If it didn't come out already about what happens in California when they run out of water. So I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff coming down the pike because this is real. Water scarcity is real and it's scary. Water is life. Okay. Wow. Whew. We made it through. It was. I know. I'm sorry. I kind of dreaded that one because I was like, "This is a hardcore, heavy one." But yeah, yeah. Margie warned me. She read it first, and she said, "Break it down into chunks as you're reading it." And I, I, because I thought, "Oh, I'll just read this book tonight." And I really had to take breaks. Like I did get pretty far into it, but I had to take a. You break. You just get like, so mad. Yeah. Like every couple chapters, I would take a little break and just go clear my mind and go do something else because otherwise, I would be like cursing to myself like a crazy person oh i was like busting into my husband's office and i'm like did you you know this did you know this 
because he, you know, again, like I said, we, we did the science side of things. We didn't do the, the sort of human toll. And he was like, I keep it. I, I want to read this as soon as I'm done this summer. That's my summer read. And I'm like, of course, that's our summer reading because that's the nerds we are. All right. So if you want some not so light summer reading, there you go. We recommend Poison Water by Candy J. Cooper and Mark Aronson. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with our pick six. For today's pick six, we decided to stay with the water theme because you because I love it because it's so much fun. <laughs> water nerd <laughs> and give you more resources for all ages. Um, I of course have some picture book suggestions for you, and Margie has a few more middle grade reads that focus on the importance of clean water. Margie, why don't you share yours first? I will. One of the first ones I think is kind of an it's a no brainer. <laughs> It's a no-brainer. Since you're in love with Mark Aronson now? No, I'll save him for last because I am in love with him. But I think um, A Long Walk to Water, and that's that, uh, it's a 2011 book. A lot of people know this book and know it really well, A lot of, but a lot of people don't. And I think that we forget because we work in this field and we are really big into books and we know every book that's ever seems to come out sometimes, I feel like, that we just think, well, why would I suggest that when everyone knows it? If you don't, I think it's a great one. It's told in two alternating section about two 11-year-olds in, in Sudan. There's a girl that happens to be in 2008 and a boy that's in 1985. The girl is getting water from a pond that is two hours walk back and forth from her home every day. And she does it twice a day. The boy is, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the lost boys of Sudan, which were the refugee boys who kind of wandered and looking for someone to take them in and a safe place to stay for years after it was in the, I was at after the fall of Mogadishu, I believe. Um, anyway, both both of these two kids, it's all about them trying to f- sort of stay safe and avoid the loneliness and the hardships and lions, things like that. Uh, rebels and all of that kind of stuff while trying to just get water. Um, it's by Linda Sue Park. And um, it's just a good one. If you're interested in water and sort of the scarcity of water, the importance of water, it's a, it's a great one. We used to read it in my old school in Indiana. And there was a brilliant, brilliant English teacher there who did all kinds of stuff. And she would make the kids walk it once a day, like what they had to walk the the two miles to see how hard it is. And like, okay, now you would have to go back carrying the water that same two miles and then turn around and do it again. So just to see, you know, I think that a lot of times it's a, it's a great book for school because Kids have no idea that not everywhere in the world does the water just come out of your faucet. Like I think American kids are so used to the water coming out of their faucet and that's how it is. And that's where water comes from. Um, We used to not have water on the reg in Turkey. We would just, you suddenly would just lose water. You always had. And it's so funny because my kids think I'm nuts, but we, I still have like gallon jugs of milk or like milk jugs full of water in the house. And they're like in the bathroom or in the, under the sink. And they're like, why do you have this? I'm like, well, you never know when the water is going to be cut. And they're like, we have our own well. Really? I think we know. <laughs> but I was like, well, you know, you never know. And then sweet, and then the water gets cut and they're like, oh, see, mom's brilliant. Um, my second one is uh, Flush by Carl Heisen. I love Carl Heisen. I do too. And any of those Flush, Scat, Hoot is a great one about um, endangered species. Tomp is the one with the alligators in the Everglades and the Everglades disappearing. They're all amazing. Flush is the great one though. It kind of goes with the water theme because Noah is the main character. His dad is trying to stop the Coral Queen casino boat who are illegally dumping every night into the river into the Florida Keys. Noah's dad decides that he's just going to sink the boat because he's an environmental activist. And um, that didn't work out so well. But now his dad's behind bars and his mom wants to divorce his dad because, you know, well, obviously um, he's not that stable sometimes. (laughs) And Noah kind of takes it among, takes it on himself to sort of save his dad and get his dad's friends to help uh, bring down the Coral Queen and their illegal dumping. It's a great book. Uh, they're all great books. Everything, every book that Carl Heisen has written for kids is absolutely amazing. I have to say his adult books are pretty good too, um, but they're really awesome. And they are very boy-centric. 
boys really get into them. Girls love them too, but they usually tend to have more boy characters. And a lot of humor. Yeah, a lot of humor. So that's a great one. The last one is kind of a little bit different take on water. So this is called uh, Rising Water. Came out in April of 2020. It's about the Thai cave rescue. Do you remember that? Oh, yes, I do. So the soccer team, the wild boar soccer team in Thailand, they were exploring a cave, a thunderstorm hit. And then because of erosion and global warming the thunderstorm was worse than it should be and it flooded and it, they were trapped in there for eight days and remember those poor kids didn't they yeah. they had to like go on like onto they sent the scuba divers in after them and i think one scuba diver died from australia or england or something it was and they had to swim back out with the you know like where they only had so much oxygen to get back out oh my god it was trauma and he's written this book for young readers and i think it looks fantastic i am a little bit scared of caves and i'm a lot scared of drowning so i don't know if i'll be reading it but it looks phenomenal so anyway there you go what do you got Cool. All right. So uh, the reason I wanted to include some picture books for the podcast is because we spend a lot of time at preschool teaching kids about nature. I mean, we go for walks, we play outside, we use natural items to make art, we focus on animals and habitats. And besides teaching appropriate social behavior and interaction, the natural world is the focus of toddler Mm -hmm. in the pre-K years. Um, Establishing a love for our world and environment is so important. So, I mean, forest school programs are starting to pop up all across the country now because people are starting to understand that kids need to spend more time outdoors. Um, My favorite expression is that kids can't bounce off walls if there aren't any. (laughs) And it it is so true. With the pandemic, many of the co-op preschools, which I'm associated with in Indianapolis, have been spending more time outdoors. Some of them were outside the whole time and the teachers have noticed such uh, much fewer social struggles like arguing over items, kids getting overwhelmed by noise or kids struggling to control their bodies. I just think after this year, many programs are going to be reconsidering outdoor play because they um, got to see firsthand the benefits of it. Anyway, so with that said, obviously water is also very, very important. Water play is huge. Yes. And um, after getting out in nature, and interacting with water or natural items. I mean, I think that books are like the second best way to teach little ones about nature, of course. So the first picture book I want to share is one that, again, like you were saying about A Long Walk to Water, it's been everywhere. You may have already seen it, maybe not, because I know I'm tuned into that world. So, But it's called We Are Water Protectors by Carol Lindstrom and illustrated by Michaela Goad. It's a beautiful picture book. Um, It's one of the most beautiful ones I've seen in a while. It came out in 2020. It's about a young indigenous girl and the wisdom her grandmother, Nokomis, has shared with her about the importance of water. And it's basically is a rallying cry to protect water from harm. It has the feel of sort of a folktale or legend and uh, pollution in the form of an oil pipeline is represented as a black snake that has come to spoil the water and destroy the land. So it's pretty intense. The book, of course, was inspired by the recent Native American-led movements against water pollution and the oil pipelines. Um, The back of the book even includes a water protection pledge that parents can take with their kiddos, which I thought was kind of a cool thing to think about. The younger you teach it, the better. Yeah. So um, actually, all three of the books are kind of recommended for older kiddos, even though they're picture books, like I would say five to seven or six to nine. They're all three of the books I was going to share today are very on the nose about the points they're trying to make. and And I think that's because they're kind of difficult topics. And so I definitely think they should be for slightly older children. I don't think I would read these to my three and four year olds just because first of all, they're a little bit longer books, but they're also kind of intense, but they're really important and, um, and really fascinating and a great time to start talking about these issues is at that five year old age. I definitely think Mm -hmm. that's so important. So the second book that I wanted to share, it's another book very similar to We Are Water Protectors. It's called The Water Walker, and it's by Joanne Robertson. Um, It came out in 2019, so it's a year older than We Are Water Protectors, and it is a Ojibwa English dual language book, which is very cool, I think, and it falls under the own voices category. Ojibwa words also appear in the We Are Water Protectors book, grandmother, water, those kind of words. The Water Walker is based on a true story about Josephine Mondaman, who is a grandmother who walked around the Great Lakes to raise awareness for the importance of protecting water. So this book, I like I said, I would decorate 
definitely recommend it for like six to nine-year-olds. That's what they recommend as well. And I agree. Those are sort of similar books, but We Are Water Protectors is more of a kind of a lyrical story. Okay. Water Walker is more of a, I mean, it's not totally nonfiction, but it's based on a real story. So then um, for my last book I found about water protection is called Little Turtle and the Changing Sea. This one I've seen everywhere too. Have you? Okay. Yeah. That's by Becky Davies and Jenny Poe is the illustrator. I love the illustrations in this. They're quite beautiful too. They're a little bit softer. And this book came out about a year ago, a little over a year ago in March of 2020. I feel like everything that came out in March of 2020, we're honestly, we're just kind of finding now, which I think is perfectly fine because these people need their props because they got, they got the shaft. Yes, definitely. And it's about the journey of a sea turtle from hatchling to motherhood, basically along the turtle's journeys. She notices the changes in the sea in the form of more plastic trash. Mm. Of course, that plastic uh, may alter her journey to the coral reefs and back. So that becomes an issue. Again, like I said, all of these books are pretty on the nose, which I normally don't recommend for picture books. But obviously, these topics are so important. Yeah. We need to be pretty direct about it at this point. And these kiddos are going to be the next generation. It's going to be their problems. And again, this is kind of another lyrical story, but that doesn't really back down from tackling these tough topics that... Like I said, the next generation is going to have to deal with. Those are my three. Those are great. I've seen them a lot. I've seen all three of them around, which I think also speaks really highly of what little kids are seeing, that what they're getting exposed to in schools. If these books are all over flooding the market, then they're, they're being read. They're being read in school. They're being read at home. And if that's what's happening, that's awesome. Well, and also, like we said, you know, most books take a couple of years to come onto the market. So it's obviously these topics were top of mind a couple of years ago before. Yeah. For the pandemic, you know, because of Flint water crisis and everything that was happening. And so I'm glad to see that there's been some literary reaction to those problems. Especially for younger kids Mm -hmm. and even middle grade. I mean, uh, there's one book and one book only on the Flint water crisis. And you know what? After reading that book, there doesn't need to be anymore because it's just that good. (laughs) But you know what I mean? I'm like, it's, it's really important that kids understand that this is real and this is the world that they live in. That they're going to inherit, basically. Yeah. 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 I agree. Because, I mean, these aren't issues that can be fixed overnight. So it's going to fall on their shoulders for sure. And hopefully they'll be prepared. (sighs) So we made it through all those heavy, heavy topics. I think it's time for a cocktail now. (laughs) Is it cocktail hour yet? I totally so. I think it's Merlot (laughs) o'clock. All right. So for the next episode, thanks to Earth Day and everything that comes along with it, we are going to stay on our environmental theme, right? Because this science nerd is loving it. (laughs) Right. We're uh, looking at another nonfiction book called How to Change Everything by Naomi Klein. I'm really looking forward to reading it. It's so good. I started already. (laughs) It's so good. I started already. And it's kind of like, it's very empowering. It's like how kids can empower themselves and each other. It's so cool. And that one literally came out the day that we, it just came out too, March of 2021. So look at us. We are so cutting edge. (laughs) Um, I'm also going to be reading Beyond the Bright Sea by Lauren Wolk, which that one's not as super cutting edge, but I've been wanting to read it for a while. So I'm excited. Yeah, and I'm going to be reading The Last Wild by Piers Torday. And that one is kind of, um, it, it looks really interesting. It's a, it's about four years old. I think it came out about four years ago or so. But it's kind of a fantasy, little dystopian, a little fantasy. Little. I'm kind of looking forward to it. I'm, you think it'll be interesting. Cool. Yeah, something light, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it'll seem light after that, like the deep dive into Flint. Ooh. So I guess that's a wrap for this episode. If you want to join us twice a month for Kidlet Discussions, please subscribe to our podcast through any of the places you get your podcasts and leave us some reviews. That would help us so oh, yeah, much. Please. We're so wrapped up in our conversations that we forget to ask you, our listeners, to review for us because <laughs> we're just here to talk. <laughs> <laughs> That'll help other people find us if you leave a review for us where, you, where you're subscribed. That'd be Especially awesome. Especially on you. this one because everyone needs to know what we say about this Flint poisoned water book so everyone can read it so leave us some reviews and if you want to find out what's happening in our worlds and about the cakes that i'm baking (laughs) or the size of my wrists um you can follow us on tulip mama's podcast on instagram tulip mama's on facebook and of course on our website www.tulipmamas t-w-o litmamas.com and we are tulip mamas 
That's right. <laughs> Get it lit, not like lit. We'll be lit later because this is a really heavy episode. Yes. So we're going to have to go drink a glass of wine. Yes. Cheers, y'all. Thanks for listening. Have a great one. Bye. Bye.